Hello there, guys. Welcome to May Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny G. Today we're talking about UFC Fight Night Dern vs. Hill, aka UFC Vegas 73. Going to be held this Saturday, the 20th of May, with a 4 p.m. Eastern start time in the Apex Arena, the smaller cage. Back to the Apex for a quick event, and then we'll be back on the road again. 12 total fights in the card, no title fights. The main event will be, of course, Mackenzie Dern versus Angela Hill. About that was moved from a, a week or two ago onto this card as the main event. Co-main event will be Edmund Shabazian versus Anthony Hernandez. A light card in terms of names you'll recognize, I will say that. But for the hardcore mixed martial arts fan, it's another Saturday. UFC, got some gambling opportunities, and so we'll make the best of it. We've got a few female bouts in the card. You've got Emily Ducote versus Lupita Godinez on the main card. You've got, of course, Dern versus Hill. And then on the prelim card, you've got Karolina Kowalkowski versus Vanessa Demopoulos. And then Victoria Leonardo versus Natalia Silva. So four female bouts in the card. That's quite a bit. Usually you're get, seeing maybe one or two kind of loaded here on this uh, on this card. Anyway. Each fight, one fight at a time, give you an individual breakdown, give you our picks to win, some betting perspectives. If you follow us on our newsletter or you follow us here closely, last three weeks have been rough. We are on a three-fight losing streak for three UFC event losing streak. In between those events, we had some other plus-money events with other things like Bellator and Invicta. But with UFC, we're talking last three weeks, we have taken an L, hard L's. We're looking to bounce back here. For our full tip sheet, all of our bets, please subscribe to our newsletter. That link is down below. Uh, that's run through Substack, a really cool tool. It's a free app. Uh, anyway, I can go on about that on and on. Let's talk about this full card. We'll go one fight at a time, start with the prelims, work our way all the way up. Let's jump into it. Here we go. Okay, the prelim card opens up with a welterweight bout. 170 pounders, Takashi Sato, Japanese fighter versus Themba Gorimbo from Zimbabwe, Africa. Before I get into the full details and the lengthy breakdown, I'll give you my pick right now. We like Themba Gorimbo by round one submission. Let me preface this and say I don't have a lot of confidence on either fighter. Very good fight for a prelim card opener. Uh, minus 110 both sides, perfectly priced. Uh, you can make an argument for both sides. You can point out some deficiencies on both sides, and we'll talk about both. Ultimately, we are gonna ever so slightly go with them, but to win this fight by a submission. And for us, his most likely threat is early on. That's for obvious reasons, less sweating, higher level of uh, endurance in the early part of the fight. And if you saw him fight recently, he did have a bit of a cardio issue in his last fight versus AJ Fletcher. We'll go over that in a second. Let's talk details here. So both these guys right here line up 16 and six for Sato from Japan, now based out of Florida. We trains out of Kill Cliff FC, by far one of the, well, I shouldn't say by far, but let's say top five gym in the world, arguably number one in the world. Great coaching staff, tons of high profile athletes there. So he's in the right atmosphere. One and four in his last five fights, unfortunately. About to be 33, we'll give him a 33. He's 32 in one, 11 months, so he's about to be 33. Five foot ten in height with a seventy-three inch reach, and for height and reach wise, there's going to be a slight advantage in the height for Themba, but the reach will be about three and a half inches. It doesn't coordinate to him being the better boxer and landing more strikes. He doesn't do any of that. He, he's not much of a boxer, not much of a striker. Doesn't have any kind of a jab. Where, where it does help him though on the ground with submissions, the longer arms, the longer blades, thin forearms. You know, easier to slip under somebody's chin. He does a great job with that. It's a big part of his arsenal. As for Themba Gorimbo, who goes by the answer out of Zimbabwe, I have to imagine. I think he's maybe. I think there's another fighter maybe who's from Zimbabwe, I forgot, but maybe one of one on the entire UFC roster who's from that country in Africa. He's 10 and four overall, three and two in his last five fights, 32 years old, six foot in height with a 76.4 inch reach. We mentioned that before. He trains out of MMA Masters. <clears throat> 
Very good, Jim. Okay, let's read to you my notes on these fighters. The breakdown, Takashi Sato is a Japanese veteran with two and four record in the UFC. He comes into this fight off of a three-fight losing streak, so definitely needs a win. He was finished twice during those three fights as well. Sato implements a karate style with a southpaw stance. His volume could be better. I think that's one of the weaknesses in his game. Just needs to throw more. And I guess it depends how you look at it. Early on, he uses a jab. His jab is very active. It's just an air jab. It doesn't really land anything. It's more like a measuring device. So he's throwing it. It's just not landing. Now, Sato struggles with two type of fighters. Number one, a high-volume striker. Makes perfect sense, right? He's not a high-volume striker himself, and he carries a negative striking ratio. Number two, a very good wrestler who will, let's say, have position control for long periods of time and also have the endurance. That's important. I don't know that my man here, Thumba, has the endurance to do that for two to three rounds and go. We haven't seen that from him. Put it that way. Um, now, Thumba's going to test this guy's takedown defense, right? So Sato has 60% takedown defense. And I would say, if you look at some prior fights like Gunnar Nelson, Gunnar Nelson just took him down very easily first and second round. You got to imagine Themba, who's not a traditional takedown fighter, like single leg, double leg wrestler style takedowns. It's more like, um, it's like, it's all kind of weird ankle chases. Sometimes he'll pull guard. Then from there, he'll try to, you know, go ahead and sweep. So for him, it's not how pretty the takedown is. It's just getting the fight to the mat. But that 60% takedown defense here for Sato will be tested. Sato's faced some pretty good competition in the UFC. He fought Gunnar Nelson, Bilal Muhammad, and Brian Battle. Now, Battle so hot right now after what he did last weekend, right? Unfortunately, he also lost all those fights. He fought Baez as well, lost that fight pretty obvious when you take a small step up here for Sato, he's having a hard time. Now, low, low level guys in UFC, you can clip some of them and get some wins. Speaking of getting clipped, durability is one of our biggest concerns for Sato. He's been finished in four of his last eight fights. Not four of his last eight losses, mind you, four of his last eight fights. Three of those were by submission. He's fighting Themba Garimbo, who's good at submission. If you're Themba's camp, this is pretty much ideal matchup. A guy with low volume striking, don't have to worry about that. Eh, average takedown defense. And one of his Achilles heels is submission defense, right? Sato's in dire need of a win here. In his last eight fights, he's got a three and five record, right? So another bad loss could result in his release from the promotion. And then I thought to myself, would they release a Japanese fighter? You know, UFC's making a very good push in Japan, Far East, wants to cater to as many of that part of the world, that market, and what better way to do that than to have fighters in the roster who are from Japan or from China, you know, so on and so forth. So maybe Sato gets a little bit more rope than some fighters, even in the loss, maybe he stays, you know, with the UFC, we'll see. Um, depends how much, how bad the loss is, right? Okay. Now, as for Thembuko Rimbo, a lengthy prospect we mentioned from Zimbabwe, he's in search of his first UFC win. He had his UFC debut last year against AJ Fletcher, early on did some good things, got some back control. I mean, almost at one point, right before he gets finished in round number two, he has almost like a, he's going for a rear naked choke. He's got both, you know, both hooks going kind of kind of in, but he's just so tired and you can see he's melting in and AJ is just sort of, you know, still in stride. Who's had also cardio problems too, AJ Fletcher in the past, but looked good that last fight. And ultimately he gets overtaken and he gets submitted by AJ. And it's interesting here with Themba. Themba does have good submission ability. There's no question about that. He's got a bunch of submissions on his resume and he averages 4.53 takedowns per fight. So he's getting takedowns. Small sample size, though, right? He only fought against AJ Fletcher. So it's just that sample size, but still, you know, active in the takedowns, active in submissions. When he gets to fight to the mat, he's nasty there, right? 
All that said, he's been submitted himself a few times, and we have durability questions about both these guys, right? So Garambo has been finished in three of his four professional defeats, and I believe two of those three were by submission. So here's a guy who, he's almost like submission or bust, and he might get submitted himself. He likes to play around on the ground. I don't believe that Sato poses a submission threat, though. That's not really what Sato does. He's a KO guy. That's what he does. Now, the biggest critique that we have of Garimbo is this. He's a one-dimensional fighter. It's the ground game. It's chasing heel hooks, submissions, rear naked chokes. It's all that. If he can't do that, he has no other path to victory. Look at his striking numbers. He's averaging less than one strike per minute. You know, So he's not active on the feet. When he throws punches, they don't look very powerful. They look awkward. Is he young enough to be making some progress and get better? Absolutely. But the numbers don't lie. When you watch him fight, he's pretty desperate about getting takedowns. For example, against Fletcher, it wasn't like he got takedowns because he was in a good position. My man would be like on his knees, crawling and trying to grab legs. And as a matter of fact, at the end of the fight, he drops for a takedown in the midst of a, a back and forth where AJ does land an elbow. It kind of hurts. I mean, I don't know if it hurt Garimbo. I, I couldn't tell. The announcers sounded like, oh, it hurt him. It seemed like he gets hit with the elbow, but then was like dropping for a takedown anyway right away. In the process of getting that takedown in a sloppy manner, he goes into a guillotine, and that's how he loses the fight. You know, so when it comes to my man Garimbo, you know, endurance is a question mark for us. He got very tired against Fletcher. He got sloppy with the grappling. He has no other method of victory. A lot of question marks there for, you know, where his career goes even beyond this fight, even if he were to get this win. And I know we're piling it on him and we're saying all the things that are not so good about Garimbo when it comes to his cardio and getting sloppy and his first fight getting submitted uh, against Fletcher in the UFC, that is. But, but we still respect the fact that he can get the fight to the ground. And those first five minutes for Sato are going to be critical. Sato must survive those first five minutes. If he does, the longer this fight goes, you've got to imagine that benefits the Japanese fighter. And for Themba, the longer the fight goes, people both are getting more sweaty. It's hard to get submissions. Your arms are getting more tired. Mentally, some level of fatigue, like been here with this guy for two and a half rounds. I can't submit him. And uh, on the feet, even though Sato's what landing only t only two point something strikes per minute, low volume, but it's better than the point nine one of Themba, <laughs> right? So, I look. I'm choosing Themba to win by a submission in round one. For me, it's a five minute fight for him. Beyond five minutes, if you're holding that ticket there, you're like, ah, oh, well, screw it. I put a sprinkle on round one, submission by Themba. Lines are not out yet, but that's where I would put my money at if I had to play a spot here. Uh, in terms of who wins, yeah, I really have no clue. Flip a coin. If you like Sato, I get it. Um, over the course of a longer fight, he probably wins. Let's talk about our betting spots here. The betting spots like the most of this fight are going to be the fight not going the distance. Why? Both have legitimate question marks about durability. Sato has KO finishes, like I think all seven of his last seven wins, by the way, right? Last seven wins, all finishes and all by KO. So Sato at least has displayed finishing ability. Whoever it is he's fighting against, some of them are, you know, low level, but has displayed it. Could we see him on top of Themba and Themba's just tired and he's just kind of like, you know, hammer fisting him or something. Nothing too crazy. Not really knocking out Themba, but just, you know, TKOing him on the ground with ground pound. Yeah, he's done that. Uh, I think if the fight gets to round three, we're going to see if Themba's been training, working on the cardio. We haven't seen it yet, but we'll see it then. And I believe at that point, then you can see something from Sato. He pours it on, gets a TKO. On the flip side, Themba is submission or bust. He knows that. He's coming into this fight with that in mind. If he were to get cracked, he's going to go to those instincts either way. 
Um, but I like him early on when both these guys are not too sweaty. I like him early on when, you know, he's fresh, his endurance level is up. And I've seen Sato in fights, recent fights against Gunnar Nelson, for example, where he gets taken down early. His neck is exposed early, and I don't believe Gunnar Nelson is as dangerous on the ground as someone like Dumba. So anyway, the fight not going the distance, the under two and a half rounds for the same reasons. Sato by TKO for the reasons we also just underlined, and then Garimbo by submission. The round one submission prop for Garimbo may be worth a sprinkle, depends on the price tag. They're not out yet, but I'll keep an eye on it. And of course, for all of our official bets, for all breakdowns we do here, please go ahead and subscribe to our newsletter. That link is down below with our full tip sheets for all the events we have um, that we cover, which is Bellator, UFC, some Invicta, sometimes some PFL, but every week can count on UFC coverage here, full tip sheets, breakdowns, videos, resource links, the whole nine. Okay, let's move on to the next fight in the card. Again, just to remind you, our official pick here is going to be Demba Garimbo by round one submission. Making our way up the card, we've got two females, flyweight bout, 125 pounders, the Brazilian Natalia Silva versus Victoria Leonardo, the American fighter. Before we get into the details of the breakdown, we'll tell you we'd like Natalia Silva to win this fight by submission. If I had to be more specific, I'd say armbar round one or round two, and we'll explain to you why when we get into the details of her profile. Okay, as for the details, Mr. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Miss Leonardo, nine and four overall, three and two in her last five fights. Huge underdog here, around plus 550, plus 550. 40 in that range from Louisiana, 33 years old, 5'5 five five in height with a 64-inch reach out of Elite Combat Academy. In terms of height and reach, you've got one inch in height advantage for uh, Leonardo, one inch of reach advantage for Silva. So I don't believe reach and height are going to be much of a factor in this matchup. For Silva, 14, 5 and 1 overall on a pretty nice winning streak, 5 and 0 her last five fights. Huge favor here, minus 720. Open around minus 400 has swelled now to this minus 720 price tag. Again, from Brazil, 26 years old, out of Team Baracha. Okay, let's talk about our breakdown, these two fighters. Again, we like Natalia Silva by submission. Armbar tends to be her favorite version of a submission. For Leonardo, she has limited pro experience for a 33-year-old fighter. You think 33 years old, she should have a little bit more fights than what she has. So kind of got to get late start in her mixed martial arts career. She lands 3.33 strikes per minute, absorbed 4.56 negative striking ratio. Not a good thing. Her wrestling isn't terrible, um, and she has some submission skills. So in the wrestling, grappling area... I think of her as someone who's at least she could she's formidable in those areas right now against an elite level grappler she can have some problems durability by far is the biggest concern that we have for leonardo she's been finished in all four of her professional losses and she's been knocked out in her last two back-to-back -back fights now can she last three rounds with a high finisher like silva I mean, it, it's it's a tough question. It's a female fight, 125 pounders. For most of the career of Leonardo, she's been somewhat durable, except for when she's getting beaten. But here we have Silva, high finish rate. I think the key for victory for Leonardo is to keep the fight standing. She'll at least give herself a shot there. Maybe she could pick up her volume. On the feet would seem like the best opportunity for her, because on the ground, the problem is, even though Leonardo's a decent grappler, Natalia Silva has shown us that she's kind of like on the verge of becoming an elite level grappler, put it that way. Now for Silva, high finish rate. She prefers to end her sorry, she prefers to end her fights by submission. Again, particularly through an arm bar. She has five arm bar related submissions over her last nine wins. All right, so more than half of her last nine wins have been some sort of an arm lock, arm bar. Uh, that's where she likes to butter her bread, so to say. Now, Silva has all the advantages I could think of in this matchup. She's younger, she's faster, throws more volume, and I think she's a superior grappler. Her body kicks also do some damage, and her footwork's very sharp. She could move in and out of range, circle away from damage. Her ability to close distance and move back so quickly, 
I don't believe that Leonardo has the speed, um, you know, just the, the physiology to keep up with that and actually be able to hit her at times. It's going to give her some headaches. Now, no offense for Leonardo when it comes to, um, I believe, wrestling. I believe her wrestling is going to be just sort of stymied here. It's going to be a stand-up game. I think at stand-up, she gives herself at least a shot. But uh, just Silva seems to be better everywhere, right? All right, now for the betting spots for this fight. Here's what we like. The spots we like the most for this fight. The fight not starting round number three. We feel like the fight not going to decision might be a little chalky, like minus 200-ish. But the fight just not starting round three because I have a lot of confidence in Silva within those first two rounds to get a submission. I like that prop. And then Silva by submission. Otherwise, I don't want a lot of other action in this fight. I don't want to touch the money line. No way. Uh, if you want to just dog or pass it, I feel you. Just seems like it's hard pressed to see Leonardo winning this fight against a fighter who seems to you know, have all the advantages. Give us Silva. Silva by round one or round two armbar. That's our pick. Let's move on. Okay, moving up the car, we have a lightweight battle. 155 pounders, Chase Hooper goes by the Dream versus Nick Fiore. Hooper's 11 and 3 and 1 overall versus 6 and 1 Nick Fiore. Before I get into the details of this breakdown, let me tell you right now that I like Nick Fiore to win this fight by submission. It's currently lined at plus 450. You've got Hooper on the line at plus 115, Nick Fiore at minus 135. As for their details, let me give you that information real quickly. So again, Hooper's 11-3-1 overall, 2-3 in his last five fights, out of Washington State in the United States, 23 years old, 6'1 in high weight, 74-inch reach, trains out of combat, sports, and fitness. As for Nick Fiore, 6-1 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights out of New Hampshire, also very young, only 25 years old, 5'10 high weight, 72-inch reach. So giving up a few inches in height and reach, though I don't think it's a big factor on the feet, it's more of a factor on the ground when it comes to Chase Hooper, he uses his length, his body, his long arms to... Chase submissions, that's pretty much where he likes to butter his bread, right? As for Nick Fiore, he's out of New England Cartel. Let me read through our breakdown here real quickly. And also, full disclosure, we did a breakdown video of this fight initially. We published it, and we were on Chase Hooper. After some further research, we had to retape this video, and we are changing course. We're on Nick Fiore. It just took us a little more time to get there, but I like Chase Hooper but too one-dimensional for me. So anyway, Nick Fury by submission is the pick. And though we have our doubts about the long-term viability of Chase Hooper, we will say this. It's the best possible matchup for him because Nick Fury likes to grapple. That's what Chase Hooper does. Hooper's an elite grappler. He'll chase ankles, heels. He'll do Amari rolls. Whatever it takes to get the fight in the ground doesn't mind working from his back, of course. His long frame allows him to chase submissions that usually some guys can't. Hooper's striking is a work in progress. That's putting it nicely he lacks punching power and doesn't look very comfortable when he's striking it in general the major issue we have for hooper is he's one dimensional that's all he has the grappling you watch training videos of him you watch him in the octagon he's fighting on the feet it just looks like it's a, a foreign language for him so basically for him he's like a baby version of jordan levitt right jordan levitt kind of not a really good striker but good grappling and here we have a guy chase hooper cut from the same cloth but a little bit younger as for nick fiore he's in search of his first ufc win after dropping his debut earlier this year He's only 25 years old, very young, still making big improvements. He went 6-0 prior to his uh, debut in the UFC, so he's got some winning percentages, and he's got some finishing ability. What he does the best, he's also a grappler. That's our concern. If he keeps the fight in the feet, he probably chews up Hooper over the course of two, three rounds. Easy win. 
if he decides to engage with the grappling, now it's anyone's ball game. And I don't know who's the better grappler. They both have positives and negatives. So I think for Nick Fiore, the reason why we're changing our initial pick from Hooper to him is because he does have the, the dynamic on the feet. He can do some striking. And there, he should be a lot better than Chase Hooper. So we're going with Nick Fiore to win the fight. The betting spots like the most of this fight are going to be the fight. Doesn't go the distance at minus 160. Hooper by submission at plus 350. And Fiore by submission at plus 450. Those are the spots we're looking at. We're thinking at some point, round two or three, someone makes a mistake and gets submitted. I'll be a little surprised if we see ourselves into a decision because, again, guys are very high elite level grapplers. And at some point, if we get into that kind of a fight, who knows what happens. But again, we're going Nick Fury win the fight here by a submission. That's our pick. Let's move on. And we're making our way up the card. Heavyweight bout. These are the big boys, 265 pounders. Lear Latifi, who goes by the sledgehammer, versus Rodrigo Nascimento who goes by Ze Colemia. Not sure what that means. It must be something in Portuguese, considering that Rodrigo is from Brazil. Lear Latifi is from Sweden, but I have to imagine he's going to have some Middle Eastern roots just based upon his physique, how he looks, how he carries himself, right? Before we get to the breakdown, the details, I'll tell you right now, we like to pick here to be Lear Latifi to win the fight by split decision. You know, we love our splits over here. It just seems like his method of victory is by decision number one. Number two, it's greasy. He's got some flaws in his game getting older. Rodrigo Nascimento probably has more upside. No question about that. He's a little younger, a lot younger. Uh, fairly good skill set, but Lear Latifi has a way of making things ugly. He's got a way of making things so ugly, we end up in a split. All right, we'll talk more about that in a second. Let's go over the particulars of these two fighters, the details that are on tapology, 16 and 8 for Lear Latifi, two or three of his last five fights. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have a frog in my throat. Slight dog here out of Boca Raton, Florida, currently where he's training out of, well, out of Boca Raton according to Tapology, but he's out of All-Stars Training Center, which is in Sweden. Not sure he's training in some, some place in Florida. 40 years old, 5'10 in height with a 75-inch reach. Height and reach-wise, big advantage there for Rodrigo Nascimento, who's 6'2 in height. It's about four inches taller, but an 80-inch reach, very long arms, about a 5-inch reach advantage. On the feet at range, you imagine... Rodrigo would have an advantage, right? And for Rodrigo, he's out of ATT. I mean, probably the best gym other than Kill Cliff or maybe... I mean, there's ATT, there's AKA, there's Kill Cliff, and there's like, I mean, I don't know, the top group, right? Nascimento's 9-1 overall. He's two... I'm sorry, three, one and one in his last five fights. There was a fight there with no contest. He won the fight, got a finish, but he tested positive for the gear. Uh, he's out of Brazil, 30 years old, so 10 years younger. And quite frankly, that is a factor. I think Lear Latifi in his prime years, like 34, 35, maybe wins this fight. And I would bet him, bet him that like easily. But man, 40 is is older. Now it's heavyweight. All oh, the heavyweights can fight a little longer. But let's be honest, it's still 40 years old. Rodrigo will have a youth advantage. And Rodrigo will have a size and reach advantage as well. We talked about that and again at American Top Team. As for our notes in these two fighters here, so... This fight will mark the 16th in the UFC for Latifi. He holds a respectable 9-6 record in the UFC, well above 500, obviously holding his own. Over the course of his career, that's both pre-UFC and in the UFC, he's been in there with guys like Gagar Mousasi, former Bellator champion, Ryan Bader, current Bellator champion, Jan Blahovitz, former UFC champion. You get the point. He's been in with some of the best of the best. Now, he lost all those fights. I get it. In comparison, the toughest opponent, though, for Nascimento was probably Kyle Dalkis. 
doesn't quite compare to a Ryan Bader, Jan Blahovitz, or Gigar Masaccio. It doesn't just like quite roll off the tongue. You know what I'm saying? Now, though Latifi has been clipped a few times, he has been pretty durable for the most part. He's been finished once in his last seven fights. Again, end of his career, getting older, not necessarily showing signs of, of durability issues at this point in his career. The biggest critique that we have, though, of Latifi is this. His lack of finishing ability. Four of his last five wins were via decision. And secondly, Latifi is again 40 years old. I know again there's these heavyweights, 42, 43. Oh, you know, it's just heavyweight. It, it's still 40. I'm over 40 years old myself. Um, you're just not as spry as you used to be when you're over 40. And I don't care if you're a heavyweight, a lightweight, uh, whatever weight you are. Um, you start feeling it. I would say this, recovery is the biggest issue that's affected. Your ability to recover, not in the fight I'm talking about. I'm talking like between training sessions when you're in camp. As for Nascimento, much younger fighter, 10 years younger, obviously. He enters this fight on a, off of a split decision win over Tanner Bozer. Now, coincidentally, they both have a split decision win over Tanner Bozer. And that, to me, was a big like, oh, here we go. A, an opportunity for a split, right? Because they both fought the same guy. They both went to a split, which suggests, you know, and maybe math that these guys are very similar in caliber. Nascimento is one, one, and one in his last three fights. Yeah, that's what they call inconsistent. You don't go one, one, and one in your last three fights. You don't have one win in your last three fights unless you're inconsistent. Now, the no not contest when we talked about this before was the was the the substance abuse or substance positive test. Did I say substance abuse? Did I say that? <laughs> substance positive tester from Nascimento for being on something. Some kind of a thing with an X's and A's, adrenalics or something. I don't know. Steroids. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. Nascimento pumps out more than more volume than Latifi. He's averaging 2.3 takedowns per fight. That's very good. Good wrestling. Now, both guys average about the same takedowns, like 2.1, 2.3 per fight. And takedowns can go a long way in this fight. Whoever gets the takedowns probably gets some top control, probably eats some clock up, probably wins that round. Two takedowns could win this fight, theoretically. You get a takedown halfway through round one or halfway through round two. You're in top control. It's a close fight. It's best the Latifi method, right? In summary, we think this fight is going to go to scorecards. Cardio probably becomes the biggest deciding factor on who wins the fight. So both guys are capable of takedowns. Both guys have a pretty good chin. Both guys have like similar volume, like little volume edge there for Nascimento. But ultimately... It's going to be greasy, right? And who has the propensity to win that war? I think it's Latifi, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's Nascimento. And again, going to the scorecards, how funny. A heavyweight bout, and we're predicting this fight goes to the scorecards and maybe also being a split. It shows you where we're at nowadays here in the UFC. I apologize. My dog's in the background here barking. Uh, the biggest spots we like the most for this fight are going to be the fight going over 1.5 rounds. The fight starts round number two. And Latifi by decision at plus 350. I'll repeat that because my dog's going off right now. The fight going over 1.5 rounds. Fight starts round number two. And Latifi by decision at plus 350. We might also find ourselves sprinkling the split props here for both guys. That's your breakdown, guys. Let's move on. Okay, moving to the car, we've got a welterweight bout, 170 pounders, Orion Kosi, who goes by the Galaxy, like as in the stars and stuff, versus Gilbert Urbina, who goes by the RGV Bad Boy. Before we get to the details in this fight, we'll tell you right now, we like Urbina by a round two finish of some kind. Again, Gilbert Urbina 
by around two finish. The line has Okosi at minus 145, Urbina at plus 125, more or less a pick em. But again, we do like Urbina here to win this fight by around two finish of some kind. As for their details on Tapology, Kosi's 8-1 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights, slight favorite out of California, 28 years old in 10 months, about to be 29. He's 5'11 in height with a 71 inch reach. So height and reach wise, about a three to four inch advantage there in height for Urbina with a three to inch advantage for Urbina. So height and reach wise, Urbina should be the bigger guy. I'll say this though. It's tapology numbers, nothing against tapology. These numbers are, they're not quite accurate. Based upon watching film, I believe Kosi, he might be a little bit smaller, maybe a little bit less reach, but not the way you're seeing here in tapology. So for me, they're very comparable in height and reach. Could be wrong here, but that's based upon my analysis. As for Kosi out of Team Alpha Male, for Urbina trains out of BMF Ranch, Urbina is six and two overall, three and two in his last five fights out of West Laco, Texas, not to be confused with Waco, Texas, and Urbina is 27. So age-wise, height and reach-wise, not much difference. Uh, Experience-wise, eight fights for Urbina, nine fights for Kos Kosi. So, you know, very uh, similar experience as well. All right, as for our notes here, so we like Gilbert Urbina by a round two finish. Urbina comes to this fight off of a two-year layoff. That's not good. It's like, why? What happened? Were you injured? Was it personal life? You know, two years, did you get better? We can only guesstimate. It's a bit of a blind spot, right? He was finished in the season finale on The Ultimate Fighter two years ago by Brian Battle. You can say that that's aged well, right? Brian Battle's a legit UFC fighter. Looked good this last past weekend, obviously in Charlotte. But that was two years ago, his last fight. Now, both of his pro defeats are against opponents that are currently in the UFC. You do like that. So, Kosi's got only two losses. I mean, Urbina. Two losses. Both guys are currently in the UFC. Urbina's a high-volume striker with good grappling. He averages 6.21 strikes per minute while absorbing five... I'm sorry, while absorbing... While also averaging, I'm sorry, 4.14 takedowns per fight. So, high-volume striker, very good wrestler, good grappler. The only downside for Urbina is this. He's also absorbing 6.34 strikes per minute. So he's got a negative striking ratio. Again, output 6.21, taking in 6.34. It's just, uh, it's a lot of punches, right? Both of these guys are wrestlers by nature. Urbina's cardio may be what gets him here the advantage because I believe as the fight goes on, Urbina's cardio is better than Kosi. I believe that based upon what, two years ago, three years ago, that's my that's my hesitancy here. Because I think Urbina is probably the better fighter if he's fresh and 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 he's like, you know, active. He's not been active, so it's it's a bit of a question mark. As for Kosi, a balanced fighter with good wrestling. He likes to bully his opponents up against the fence, eventually scrape him to the ground, get on top. His eight and one record is a little deceiving though. He's one and one in the UFC. So that eight and one is like undefeated. Regional scene goes to UFC. Now he's like one in one last two fights. I'm just saying. And if you watch his fight against Philip Rowe, yeah, there's a lot of red flags there. Number one, he's ahead in the fight. Kosi's winning the. He won the first round. Round two comes out, looks pretty good, and then Rowe starts clocking him, and then Kosi's cardio just <laughs> drops out. It's like, what happened to this guy? We understand that he gets a little bit cracked in round two, so it becomes an issue of like not just cardio, but confusion, whatever. But he couldn't get takedowns. And once he couldn't get takedowns, it was like, that was it. That was it. Nothing else left. So my concern for Cozy is a little bit of durability, 
maybe a little bit one-dimensional against a guy like Gilbert Urbina, who seems to have the gas tank and good grappling, this is a bit of a tough matchup. I mean, it's a good matchup in that we're going to see two guys compete. It should be close. Yeah. But Kosi at minus 145, I'm not with that. This fight should just be a pick em, or even Urbina should be favored. And then again, the whole issue of Urbina being out for two years becomes part of the issue, right? Look, Kosi also has a negative striking ratio. On the feet, he's not great. Kind of low volume, absorbs a lot of punches, very hittable, limited head movement. On the ground in top position, he looks pretty good, but so do I. I mean, on top position on the ground, I mean, that's where you want to be if you're on the ground. But Urbina will have a distinct advantage on the feet in terms of volume. On the ground, should be kind of close. Going to be a tough fight. We're going to edge Urbina to win this fight, though, by a, a round two finish because I believe that Kosi will get tired. I don't think it's a fatigue issue in terms of like a lack of training. It's just like the way he fights. He just slows down a lot. The first half of round one, he's sharp on the feet. He's moving. You know, everything's sharp and clean. And then after that first half of round one, it just all changes. You get into round two, it's even more, even diminishes more. So concerned about cardio here for Kosi at minus 145, a bit of a trap here, I think. Some people who don't know these two fighters will probably just put Kosi to a parlay or think, oh man, he'll win eight and one. And uh, yeah. Now, I will say one more time, Urbina to your layoff, a bit of a problem. So the betting spots like the most of this fight are going to be the fight going under 2.5 rounds or under two and a half rounds at minus 130. And then fight does not go the distance along with Urbina into the distance. So we're thinking Urbina gets a finish round number two, early round number three, maybe round, round number one. I don't know. Um, but I would be surprised if this fight goes the full distance because that would mean that Kosi's cardio checks out. That would mean Urbina's pressure and pace doesn't happen. And could that happen? Yes. But that would be two big upgrades or downgrades. Like Urbina, the downgrade of having good pressure and pace and, and good volume, the way we saw him two years ago, a long time ago. And then Kosi to be like, oh, I've figured out my cardio. I'm better now. I can withstand the pressure and pace. I can go for three rounds. Recency bias, again, with Kosi, I mean, he really melted in that last fight he lost. I mean, he melted against Phil Rowe. It wasn't just the, the, the pounding of Phil Rowe punching-wise. It was his cardio. So give me Gilbert or Urbina win this fight. Round number two, some kind of finish. Maybe a club. Maybe a club and sub. Maybe just a sub. But some kind of finish. That's your breakdown, guys. Let's move on. With the car, we have another female about Carolina Kalkajic versus Vanessa Demopoulos. This will be a strawweight battle, 115 pounders. Two pretty ladies. Before I get into the breakdown, I will tell you right now that I do like Carolina to win this fight by a decision. If you like Vanessa Demopoulos, probably by submission, has like three arm bar finishes and had one few fights ago. That's more or less where she likes to have her fights on the ground due to grappling. Vanessa for Carolina. At range is her key to success. So let's talk about details in these two fighters. Let's start here first with um, the specifics on these guys. So 14 and 7 for Carolina out of Poland, 37 years old, 2 and 3 in her last five. A bit of a rough stretch. 5 foot 3, not very tall, but Vanessa's only 5 foot 2. So Carolina will have a 1 inch height advantage. As for reach, if you know Vanessa Demopoulos, pretty short arms. Helps her, I think, in some ways with submissions. 
Then again, her longer arms would help her in other ways. Nonetheless, she's giving up about four and a half to five inches in reach to Carolina. As for the gyms, Carolina's out of Shark Top Team and for Vanessa out of Fight Ready MMA. Vanessa goes by Little Monster, nine and four overall, four and one of her last five fights. I believe she's been overachieving recently, and I don't mean like no disrespect there. I just, you know, she's been doing very well. Out of Denver, Colorado currently, um, but originally out of Greece, makes sense, right? Demopolis, 34 years old, so about three years younger than Carolina. That surprised me. I guess in my mind, I just thought of Carolina being around the same age or younger, uh, but she is a few years younger and she's been around for a while. So once you look at her topology, I guess it does make sense. It just Her career has happened so fast, it just kind of snuck up on me. And again, for height and reach on Vanessa, five foot two with a 59, <clears throat> excuse me, and a half inch reach. All right, as for our write-up in this fight, it's pretty short and sweet. We let Carolina by decision. Carolina's faced off with some of the best competition in the UFC during her time. She shared, for example, the cage with Rose Namajunas, Alexa Grasso, Jessica Andrade, and Joanna the last name, Joshezik, I just, I can't say it, but Joanna, former champion Joanna. We like her volume, we're talking about Carolina that it is, her strength of schedule, she should be able to outpoint Vanessa Demopoulos on the feet. That would seem to be like the smartest game plan, the safest game plan, the most efficient game plan. Carolina lacks finishing ability and has a negative striking ratio. I, off the top of my head, I think she has like one finish in her last... 11-12 fights, so again, not much of a finisher. That's not really in her arsenal. Vanessa does her best work on the ground, so again, doubling down this point here, Carolina, she's not an awful grappler, but even she's if she's in guard on top, she should try to make her way back to the feet and try to stay away from that, because that's the only path to victory for Vanessa. Now, as for Vanessa, submission fighter with three armbar finishes on her resume, she comes to this fight off of back-to-back -back wins over Jinyu Fry and Maria Oliveira. Now, one of those wins was by split decision. They were both by decision. She went 6-1 in her amateur career, and this is notable for Vanessa. Even though she doesn't have many pro fights, her amateur career was significant. She went 6-1 and one as an amateur and fought two fighters that are currently in the UFC, Chukagan and Vlismus. And she defeated Vlismus. Now, lost to Chukagan by a knockout. But again, as an amateur, Chukagan has gone on to look pretty good. So, they both fought Silvana Juarez. That's Carolina and Vanessa. Carolina defeated Juarez by a decision, whereas Vanessa submitted Juarez. Some math for you there. Vanessa at plus 120, that's a good spot if you're just thinking, listen, my biggest return, women's fight, maybe going to get close. Vanessa, get some takedowns, get some top control. 37-year-old Carolina, you know, 37, 34, I'm, you know, I'm in my early 40s. I'm trying to go over it in my head. Like, you know, your body's just, it's going through changes, and they're females. So I, I'm just saying 37 is not the prime years for a strawweight, 115-pounder. Carolina's in, always in good shape. You know, good mindset, fairly good fighter IQ, but just, you know, maybe could Vanessa look a little more spry in late round two, round three? Who knows? It wouldn't be a surprise. For a betting perspective, the bets we like for this fight, over 1.5 rounds, fight starts round number three, Demopolis by submission and Carolina by decision. We'll put a sprinkle on both sides by a split because it's a female fight. As for those prices, they're not out just yet. If you are subscribed to our newsletter, you'll see them in our tip sheet and also throughout our newsletter. The link for our newsletter is down below in the description. That's the breakdown for Kalina Kowalczyk Kowalczyk versus Vanessa Demopoulos. Let's move on, guys. And we're up to the last fight in the prelim card. It's a lightweight battle. These guys are 155 pounds. You've got Hayasar Mahashat versus Yashlav Borshev. Those are two tongue twisters right there. Mr. Mahashat's from China, Borshev's from Russia. Before I get into the details, I'll tell you right now that I like Borshev to win this fight by a round one knockout. Full disclosure, I did a whole recording of this breakdown and I was on the side of Mahashat. Then I, I looked a, little at a few numbers a little bit more because I wasn't sure. And then I went and looked more and I saw some more film and I thought to myself, you know what? No, 
I think Mahashat is young enough to be to make the wrong mistake here and try to stand and trade with Yashlav. And if he does that, I think Yashlav tags him, tees him, gets the knockout. It happens early. Um, I'll get more into that in a second. But again, the pick is Borshev by a first round knockout. As for the details, what's on Tapology here? We've got Mahashat at nine and two overall. Not much experience. Twenty three years young from China. Six foot in height with a seventy one and a half inch reach. Trains out of Embo Fight Club, and he's four and one in his last five fights. Currently listed right now as a slight dog. We've got him at plus one twenty. About pick him range minus one forty for Borshev. As for Borshev, he's six and three overall. Records deceiving, though, he had a combat sports background and I think boxing or kickboxing, something else be before he went into mixed martial arts later in his combat sports career. Vyashlev goes by Slava Claus, 6-3 overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. Now out of California, but originally from Russia, 31 years old. He just looks older than that, uh, the receding hairline and just... I guess the average body uh, body type. He's 5'11 with a 69 inch reach. So giving up about an inch in height and about two inches in reach. And he's out of team alpha male. Pretty good gym there for Borship. And he also does like some coaching. We've seen him doing some cornering with some teammates. Uh, just seems to be a pretty high fighter IQ uh, type of guy. Anyway, so Borship by first round knockout. He made his UFC debut against Dakota Bush 2022 just last year. Fighting on the main card of the UFC Fight Night Qatar vs. Chikadze card. Borshev is a talented Russian boxer with finishing power. He has a knack for delivering damaging body blows. At range, he can pretty much hang with anyone in this division. His boxing technique is on point. He's got good defense, good head movement, and he could take a punch. Never been knocked out. Where Borshev struggles, though, is in the grappling department. He, he Against average wrestlers, even, he's been taken down and controlled, and Borshev has a hard time getting up once he's been taken down. Now, fortunately for him in this fight, Mahashat is not much of a wrestler either. He's got zero takedowns thus far in his UFC run, so I don't think it's going to be much of a factor in this fight but in future fights again for Slava Klaus needs to be careful with the grapplers that Borshev has a background in combat sports we mentioned this before so it's a bit deceiving his six and three or whatever six and two record he's got in the UFC or in, in mixed martial arts it's limited looking but he's got more of a background as for Mahashat Young Chinese prospect with a strong chin. Never been finished before. At the age of 13, that's when he started his mixed martial arts career. He was in wrestling, did some Muay Thai, eventually moved over to mixed martial arts, which he found his love there and has stayed there ever since. We mentioned in prior newsletters and also prior breakdown videos that the Chinese love obviously mixed martial arts and the UFC wants to cater to that. So UFC is trying to plan a mega event in China. It's about some of it's COVID-related, some of the holdups from that. Nonetheless, a mega event in China, in Beijing, UFC hosting it or co-hosting it, promoting it, however you want to put it. A guy like Mahashat would be key for a card like that. So him winning, picking up more wins, getting momentum, that serves the UFC's um, a script, I guess, or their narrative. Though in this fight, they're not giving him any kind of a cakewalk. You know, Slava Claus is a legit fighter. So it is a good matchup, and I don't believe this fight hits a scorecard, so I think Slava could take it into his own hands. But if this were to go to a, a really close decision, I wouldn't want to be holding a Slava Claus ticket. I would think at that point, Mahashat, is the fighter the UFC wants to see keep winning. I, I'm just putting it out there, right? Um, anyway, back to my notes here. So Mahashat will be obviously ideal candidate for a, a card in uh, China. Borshoff is probably his toughest test to date. The only two critiques that we have here on Mahashat is this. His chin's up a little bit high, tends to eat a few punches, and will stand and trade with someone. So look at his contender series fight. He got buckled at one point in that fight. Now buckled, and he was against the fence, so it kind of saved him. Like a typical 23-year-old, 22-year-old at the time, I think, 22, 21, he's going to make mistakes. There's going to be some growing pains. If he has his chin open and he decides to stand in trade with someone like Slava Claus, he's not going to make it out of there. 
He's going to get woken up on the ground and, and, and be like, what happened here? Because Slava Claus is a violent striker. Boxing is his thing. If he has to just box only for a period of time, he's going to find his target. His kidney shot, amazing. When you look at Mahashat fight, his guard's very loose. He doesn't have a lot of you know chin protective measures. Chin's up high, not tucked. He'll stand and trade. And again, there's another world where his fight in contender series, he could have gotten knocked out. Because he does get clipped there, comes back, wins the fight. So for me, Slava Claus, a little underrated in this spot. He's, yeah, the favorite, but I think he's significantly the better fighter when it comes to just boxing. So look, if Mahashat mixes in some type of grappling against the fence, which is not usually part of his arsenal, he's more of a Muay Thai fighter, kickboxer, stay at range, nice front kicks, nice kicks with the front. But if it's an at-range fight, even though he has distance and has the reach advantage, I just think Slava Claus has the experience there, has the grown man experience, and I think at some point we'll pick apart Mahashat. And if Mahashat again makes the, the fatal mistake of trying to trade with him, c'est la vie. I see an early finish there for Slava Claus. The betting spots we like the most of this fight are the under two and a half rounds, not priced yet. Fight not going to the distance, also not priced yet. And then Borshev by knockout at plus 150. That line... We probably won't play that ticket at plus 150. It's just, it's not paying very much, but it's an indicator. The market's telling you, listen, we see it happening too. At plus 150, you're, you know, the, 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 there's not much there, not much return. You're getting just slightly over pick of money. So that is the spot probably. Borship, I think early round one knockout. When that prop comes out, oh, it is out. So plus 335 for Borship by a first round knockout. That's a little bit better, but again, amazing, right? A specific round and method. And still only plus 335. It's again, the books are telling us outright. They see that as a possibility as well. But uh, that's our pick. Borshev by first round knockout. Let's move on. And here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We are at the main card. First white, a lightweight battle. 155 pounders. Diego Ferreira from Brazil versus Michael the Menace Johnson. American fighter and a veteran of the UFC. Been around for a long time. Before I get into the picks, we'll tell you right now. I'm sorry, before we get into the details, I'll give you our pick right now. We like Diego Ferrer to win this fight by decision that's currently lined at plus 350. The money lines have Diego Ferrer at minus 140, Johnson at plus 120. That seems to be lined about right. These guys are closely matched. There's a world where Michael Johnson can win this fight. We're with Diego Ferrer, but if you're on Michael Johnson, hear us out. Uh, he's definitely got a chance to win the fight, but we just like Diego for a few specific reasons. As for their details, let's go over that first. So Johnson, 21 and 18 overall, two and three in his last five fights at a Boca Raton, Florida, 36 years old, about to be 37, five foot 10 high with a 73 and a half inch reach, training out of the Kill Cliff FC. As for Diego Ferreira, the Brazilian, he's 17 and five overall, also two and three in his last five fights, 38 years old. So both guys are in their upper 30s, five foot nine for Ferreira with a 74 inch reach. So a slight reach advantage for Ferreira, but a slight height advantage for Johnson. Don't think of much of a factor. As for the gym, Diego Ferreira trains out of Fortis MMA. Okay, let's make this short and sweet here. Ferreira by decision, that's our prediction. Johnson's a genuine UFC veteran. Like when you say veteran, like this guy is a veteran. This will mark his 32nd straight fight in the UFC. Not 32nd straight fight in general. 32nd, so 32 total fights in the UFC, including this bout. So this guy's been around for a minute. During his tenure, he squared off with some names you might recognize. People like Dustin Poirier and Edson Barbosa. Matter of fact, those are the two biggest wins of his career. He went through a six-fight stretch where he fought Barbosa, Dariush, Nate Diaz, Dustin Poirier, Khabib Nurmagomedov, and Justin Gaethje all in a row. Now, that usually would probably get you out of the UFC because of just the beating, 
the losing. So to go through that stretch, grab a few wins, right? Beating Barbosa, being Poirier, and staying in the UFC, the guy is battle-tested, right? Now, though Johnson has been finished a few times, it's usually by submission. Seven total times he's been finished, five times by submission, only been knocked out twice. Now, one of the biggest concerns we do have for Johnson is his record in general over the last few years. He's 5-10 and 10 in his last 15 fights. Granted, good opponents, we get it, but the bottom line is, in there is mixed in some losses that are not so good. Losses that you can't just explain away. Guys like Miles Jury, guys like Reza Madadi. Yeah, who is that guy? <laughs> guys like Paul Sauce, Jonathan Brookins. How about Stevie Ray? Those losses are not as easy to you know explain away, but they're mixed in there. So five and ten in his last fifteen does concern me. Not the kind of guy you feel very confident about when you go into the betting window. The keys to victory for Johnson. Well. Number one, he's got to win the volume battle. He just needs to let his hands go, which he does do naturally at times. I mean, he's a natural boxer, striker, kick boxer. He's not much of a grappler. Landing 4.27 strikes per minute over 31, 32 fights. So it's, it's a big sample size. He does have good volume. I wouldn't say he's the biggest power puncher. He's definitely not much of an offensive wrestler. He does have good takedown defense, though the number eludes me, but I want to say like 70, 80% takedown defense in that range. Again, large sample size, and again, has fought some guys who are good wrestlers. So I would deem Michael Johnson a pretty damn good defensive wrestler. Offensively, not so much. Okay, all right. Now, much like Mike, much like Mike Johnson, Diego Ferreira is also a UFC veteran and quite battle-tested. He made his first walk into the UFC in 2014, so been in the UFC now for about nine years. He has an 8-5 and five record in the UFC, winning percentage. You do like that. He's got wins over Anthony Pettis, Jared Gordon, and Rustam Kabalov. Those are his biggest wins of his career. Not quite the resume of Michael Johnson, but still guys that are decent. He caught Anthony Pettis, I believe, towards the end of Anthony Pettis' run with the UFC. So it's like Anthony Pettis 2.0. Ferrer began his combat sports career as a grappler. And if you look at his resume, you see early part of his career, a lot of submissions. He has seven total submissions on his resume. But he's evolved. He's now a balanced striker. You couldn't tell he's a guy who has such a heavy grappling base because he's really evolved. He's averaging 4.67 strikes per minute. That's very high for a guy who's like got a grappling base. But again, it's a testament to his hard work and his ability to evolve. He averages less than one takedown per fight. That surprised me. 0.75 to be exact for per, per, per takedowns per fight. So he's not actively looking to get the fight to the ground. And also, like Johnson, he's got pretty good takedown defense. Johnson, again, 80%. The number's right here actually in front of me now. Takedown defense for Johnson. It's likely the bulk of this fight plays out in a standing affair, some kind of a kickboxing, boxing match. The keys to victory for Ferrer are this. Land more strikes on the feet and land more significant strikes. That's the big one. This fight could be close in terms of volume. Total punches landed. But who lands the ones that are more notable? Who gets the crowd's reaction? Well, I guess crowd apex arena. The 20, 30 people that are in the octagon arena there watching the fight. But you get the point. The more significant strikes, and this may sound redundant, but that's probably the fighter who wins in the scorecards. Because I can see it being so close in terms of the total stats. And Johnson... Again, numbers don't lie. He's averaging about four and a half strikes per minute, and so is Ferrer. So it's going to come down to who lands the big shot, maybe who's bleeding. If Ferrer can pull off a takedown, though, this is the game changer now. He's got 0.75 takedowns per fight. Again, Johnson, good takedown defense. But if Ferrer can catch Johnson a little fatigued, maybe making a mistake in late round two, round three, Johnson does show moments of getting tired. He is almost 40. We can see a spot where Ferrer maybe sneaks in a takedown. That takedown could decide that round. If it's 1-1 going into round three, it could decide the round three. So if a takedown does happen, I believe it becomes it comes from Ferrer. 
and it could be a big one, could decide the fight in some ways. As for the bets we like the most of this fight, we like the fight going over 1.5 rounds at minus 160. Fight starts round number two. That line is not available just yet. Ferrer by decision at plus 350. And then both fighters by a split will sprinkle both sides. If you want the full bets for this entire card, please subscribe to our newsletter. That link is down below. And in our newsletter, we give you our full tip sheet for the entire event, our props, our parlays, some of our long shot parlays, our individual bets, it's all in there. But I can tell you right now, the, the spots we like the most here are the fight going over 1.5 rounds. These guys are pretty durable. Not a huge amount of, amount of punching power. Fight starts round number two. Might be chalky, but may find its way into one of our parlays. Ferrer by decision, then both guys by, by a split. That's your breakdown, guys. Again, we're going with Ferrer to win the fight. And good luck. Let's move on. And we keep it moving up the main card. Welterweight bout, 170 pounders. Andre Fialo from Portugal versus Joaquin Buckley, the American fighter from Missouri. Before I get into the details in these two, let me tell you, we like Fialo by first round knockout at plus 400. That's our prediction. And uh, I'm going to stick with it. Uh, this is a tough one. I, I did go back and forth. A lot of reasons to like Buckley. You know, the, the, the bullet points, more experience, has, you know, shown he's got some cardio. He has multiple methods of victory, uh, has punching power, very good athlete. Fialo, uh, knockout a bust. You know, I, I we know all those different things about them. But I think once you peel back a few layers, I think you see a few things. Number one, tons of variance. <laughs> you know, this fight can end a few different ways, and I'm not sure how it's going to end. Uh, I'm giving Fialo a chance. I like the plus 195 money in the money line. I like that plus money for the first round knockout. But is there a world where Joe Queen Buckley can either just outlast Fialo, wear him out, and then maybe even knock out Fialo? Absolutely. And is Joe Queen Buckley faced more competition, better competition, higher strength of schedule? Yes, yes, and yes. So uh, I don't want to discount Joe Queen Buckley. Uh, there is one wrinkle in his game, though. Uh, he has got durability issues, and do you want to be, you know, playing with your money on minus two thirty with a guy who has durability issues against a guy like Fiala who fights like I don't give a damn, <laughs> you know, and he swings hard, has a bunch of first round finishes. So let's dive into the details here, and we'll go over with you. Maybe we'll convince you to give Fiala a chance on one of your betting spots for this card. Okay, so welterweight bout, one hundred seventy pounders. Fiala sixteen and six overall, two and three in his last five fights. He's now based out of Florida, 29 years old, six foot height with a 74 inch reach, and he trains out of, yeah, Killcliffe FC. They literally have a stable of athletes from all over the world. I mean, you're getting the best training partners possible. Uh, I'd say some of the best coaches possible. I don't, I can't verify that. I don't train there. I do know there's coaches all over the world that are high level, but it seems like every damn person you could think of is now going to kill cliff uh some way shape or form just growing their roster unbelievable so joe queen buckley he trades out of finney's hit squad and murcielago mma not quite the caliber of where andre fiala is training but it's gotten the job done for buckley he's 15 and 6 overall three and two in his last five fights he's the favorite here out of st louis missouri 29 years old Age-wise, both 29, 510 for Buckley with a 76-inch reach. So reach-wise, Buckley has two inches, and then height-wise, about an inch or two for Fialo. Though I, you know, I don't know. Fialo doesn't look like a very tall guy. I imagine these guys are, uh, you know, similar in height. With Buckley, I can say this: he does have uh, longer arms based upon his height and his frame. You know, five foot ten. I'm, I'm not too far five foot ten. I'm pretty sure my arms are not that long. 76-inch reach. That is impressive. Okay, let's zip through the notes here we have for these fighters. Fialo by first round knockout. That is our prediction. It's a tough fight to call. We can make a good argument for both sides. Buckley has the experience edge and has proven he can fight and win multiple different ways. 
You can also make an argument that Buckley has more experience against higher-level fighters and fought better competition. For Buckley, has a high-quality win over Durayev and Al-Hassan. That's... Uh, What's what's Al Hassan's Al Hassan's first name is is uh is escaping me, but Al Hassan and Durev, those two wins pretty quality. His wrestling's pretty good. We're talking about Buckley, that is, and he carries legit power in his hands. The common knock on Buckley is his durability, though. He enters this fight off of a knockout loss, and four of his six career defeats were by knockout. Buckley needs to be careful because Fialo has legit knockout power. A takedown or two would be huge for Buckley. He averages 1.23 takedowns per fight. By taking it to the mat, he can obviously neutralize the power and the boxing of Fialo. It just makes perfect sense. And Fialo is not a very good grappler. So I would imagine the first round and a half of the fight where Buckley's pretty fresh, if he can engage in some kind of wrestling and take down Fialo, wear down Fialo, so take some of the power away, take some of his will away, that seems to be like the smartest path, you know, to go. I'm not sure Buckley will do it. He does like the stand and bang himself. We'll see what happens. As for Fialo, knockout or bust. He's a definition of knockout or bust. Now, most of his fights don't get past the first round. Some do. He's been to the second round. He's been to the third round. But most of the time, it's over pretty quickly. His last six wins were all by knockout. And five of those were in round one. The sixth one was in round number two. He's looking to get you out of there and do it quickly. Now, when he isn't finishing his opponent... He's also finishing, getting finished himself. So typically the kind of guy where he's either knocking his opponent out or getting knocked out himself. He comes into this fight off of back-to-back -back knockout defeats to Salikov and Matthews, where he got knocked out to finish. Fialo has also been knocked out by Nijikwani and Chris Curtis. Nijikwani finished him in 21 seconds of the first round. You know, I'm not saying Fialo's got a chin issue or he's got durability issues. I'm just saying, based upon the resume, it's kill or be killed with him. Uh, I think the under here, like under two and a half, fight not going the distance, you know, some props you might want to consider, right? Anyway, so as for the fighting style of Fialho, it's wonderful for the fans. It's exciting to watch. You're on the edge of the seat. At the same time, it's it's likely to cut a few years off the end of his career. He, he can't keep fighting this way. He either is going to have to make an adjustment and become a different fighter, which will be less explosive, less exciting, or the continuous damage, continuing getting knocked out early, it's going to just take some years off the end of his career, maybe cut his UFC career short at some point. Anyway, uh, with that said, the guy's exciting to watch. And, um, I mean, quite frankly, I don't know how he would fare against, let's say, higher-level guys. That would be my big question for Fialo. Like, he faces a guy who's, like, top 7, top 10, probably gets knocked out every time. Those guys can take a punch. They're a little bit more crafty. When he's fighting guys at this level, um, you know, Buckley, this is like the tip of that level. He can be effective. He could be a problem. And Buckley, again, has, has some durability issues. Anyway, let me wrap this up here. So the betting spots like the most of this fight are going to be the fight not going the distance at minus 225. I think I laid out at least a few cases for why I think it's no no distance. Both guys have finishing ability. Um, and again, with Fialo, it's like, it's it, with him, it's either, you know, kill or be killed. At some point, he either gets it done himself or he's going to wear himself out trying and get finished. The under two and a half is also minus 175. Those are the spots I like the most. I don't think I'll entertain like the individual uh, betting props for either guy because, again, I just feel like it can go either way. I'm not super confident on Fialo. Uh, may I put a small play on him and some kind of like a dog parlay just to have some fun? Maybe. Um, and then maybe a small bet individually. I, I do think he's got a ch chance here. Anyway, so again, the fight going under two and a half, no distance. Those are the spots. And our pick again is uh, Andre Fialo win here by knockout round number one over Jacqueline Buckley. Let's move on. Okay, next fight in the main card docket. We've got a catchweight bout. 120 pounders, Lupita Godinez, who goes by Lupi versus Emily Decody. 
who goes by Gordina, which is like uh, a few different translations there, but kind of means chubbier or kind of a, a, a someone who's pleasantly plump, put it that way. Before we get into the breakdown, I'll give you my pick right away. We like Lupita Gordina to win this fight by a split decision. If you know us, you know we love splits and submissions. You know, more than half the UFC female fights this year have gone to either a split or a submission. Very common. This fight has split written all over it. Both girls do a lot of things well. Um, I think the advantage goes to Lupita because of the wrestling, the grappling, the, the takedowns. If she decides to take some position control, eating up some clock, and uh, I feel like that's how she gets it done. Anyway, let's get the details. These two fighters move through this pretty quickly. So Emily Ducote, 12-7 and seven overall, 4-1 her last five fights out of Oklahoma City, 29 years old, 5-2 in highway to 63-inch reach out of American top team in Oklahoma City. As for Godinia, is 9-3 overall, 3-2 in her last five fights of Mexican descent, but grew up in Canada. Uh, she's 29 years old as well, so both girls are 29. She's also 5'2", with a 61-inch reach out of Titan MMA. So reach-wise, a slight advantage for Emily Ducote. Don't think that's going to be a factor in this fight, but I uh, do want to mention it. Godinez is an effective wrestler, averaging 3.82 takedowns per fight. She does her best work on the ground, top control, landing some ground and pound. She's one of the most active fighters, by the way, on the roster. She fought four times in 2021, twice last year. This will be a second fight this year, so very active fighter. Her keys to success are pretty simple. She needs to scrape down Dakota to the mat, hold her down there, and beat her up. Godinez might be one of the most overly priced or inaccurately priced or maybe overhyped fighters in the roster. Listen to these numbers here. She was minus 225 favorite in her defeats against Luana Carolina and Jessica Penny. Actually, actually, both fighters, I'm sorry, both fights, she was around minus 25 or greater. So she was a favorite in those both, both two fights, Luana Carolina and Penny loses both those fights. Then she's a minus 360 favorite against Angela Hill. Loses that fight. <laughs> and then her last fight, she barely won a split decision as a minus 275 favorite, a fight I kind of thought she lost against Calvillo. So can you really wager on Godinez as a favorite? I mean, these numbers right here, that's four fights I just gave you, recent fights where she was over a two to one favorite, a three and a half to one favorite, and she drops the ball. Again, last fight she won, but like, I mean, she kind of lost. So notably, Godinez, she's just in these close decisions. Be careful with betting on her, especially when she's the favorite. Also, one more thing, she's a bleeder. For some reason, you tap her a few times in her nose, honk, honk, and she's bleeding. The optics of a bloody nose, it could prove costly on the scorecards, especially if it's going to a tight decision, right? For Emily Ducote, former Invicta fighter, former Bellator fighter, she was on a four-fight winning streak until she ran to Angela Hill last year. Okay, Angela Hill beats her, kind of puts the you know breaks on things. Our biggest concern for Dakota is the lack of urgency. When you go back and watch that fight against Angela Hill, she's behind the scorecards. She's getting beat, and there's no sense of like, I have to do something. Um, I'm losing the fight. Let me p pick things up. It was almost like a accepting the the defeat early on and not doing anything to fight it or do anything to to change the course of what's going to happen. So I didn't like that for Dakota to have success against Godinez. She must stay upright. On the ground, on her back, there's no way for her to win there. And if you look at past film of Dakota, she's not the worst grappler. She gets back to her feet. She's not an offensive wrestler. She's a striker. She works at range. But again, takedowns will loom large here. In the case of Lupita, she's had some car, you know, uh, sorry, fighter, fighter IQ issues in the past where she didn't take advantage of top control like the Jessica Penny fight. I think she's learned a few things, has showed some improvements recently, getting a little bit better. But again, takedowns has to happen here for Lupita to get advantage. If this fight, let's say, were to play out for a long period of time on the feet at range, could you see some success from Emily Ducote? Yeah, you could. Lower leg kicks, she'll have a little bit of reach advantage, good combinations. I think a more fluid striker than Lupita. And then we had that 
at the, the issue of maybe Lupita having a, a nosebleed at some point. All those things favored to Cody. But it would have to be like, I mean, Lupita would have to do something really silly here and not grapple and not try to wrestle. That would just be, you know, such a low fighter IQ move. I don't think that's going to happen. So we're going to go with Lupita to win this fight by a close decision. The betting spots we'd like for this fight are going to be the fight going over two and a half rounds at minus 325. Fight goes the full distance at minus 300. Godinho's by decision at minus 120. We're not going to play that prop, but that gives you an idea. The books are telling you, like, Godinho's by decision is... Minus 120. And then we'll sprinkle the split props on both sides. Unfortunately, splits will not pay out well. I'm thinking the splits will be probably around, let's say, Godinez at plus 550 and Emily Ducote, like, at plus 700, which is a shame, but um, a high likelihood here of a split. And uh, we'll get those numbers out to you guys via the newsletter. When they come out, we'll put them in there. Unfortunately, we don't have those lines or prices yet available for the split prop on this fight. But, again, we're going with Lupita Godinez to win the fight by split decision. That's your breakdown. Let's move on. And here we are, the co-main event, boys and girls, middleweight bout, 185 pounders, Anthony Fluffy Hernandez versus Edmund Shabazi and the Golden Boy. Before we get to the details, we'll tell you that we like Anthony Hernandez to win this fight by a round number two submission. Um, round one or round two, somewhere in that time frame. We like Anthony Hernandez to win the fight. He is the second biggest favorite on the card at minus 290. You've got Edmund Shabazi at plus 245. As for the details, Edmund, 12 and 3 overall, 2 and 3 in his last five fights, based out of Las Vegas, 25 years young, 6 foot 2 and high with a 74 inch reach, trigger of the extreme couture. As for Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, 10 and 2 overall, 4 and 1 in his last five fights. He's a big favorite here, almost minus 300 now. Out of California, 29 years old, 6 foot in height with a 75 inch reach out of MA Gold fight team. Height and reach wise, we have an advantage in the reach for Hernandez and then a slight advantage there by 2 inches for Edmund on the height. Don't think that will be much of a factor. Let's read through the breakdown. So Hernandez by submission, that's currently plus 200. That's the prop we like the most in terms of where we think it's going to fight, going to finish, right? Hernandez by submission. Edmund's a good overall fighter with a high finish rate. He's earned finishes in 10 of his 12 victories. 10 of his 12 victories by finish. Impressive. He comes to this fight off of a round two knockout win over Dalcha Leon Gumbula. So last fight, round two knockout win over Dalcha. Very nice, very impressive. Now prior to that, was on a three-fight losing streak with losses to Imovov, Hermanson, and Brunson. All good fighters, so not like you know bad fighters, all quality losses. The biggest concern that we have for Edmund is his cardio and low output. He has a tendency of just staring at his opponents, not letting the hands go. And so for long periods of time, he'll just look, look and look for a counter, wind up, throw something heavy, and then just look and look. That's a problem against anybody who's got good volume. Hernandez is not the most amazing striker, has decent volume though, enough that he's gonna be throwing more strikes than I, than I believe Edmund will throw. Now to make matters worse for Edmund, he slows down so much at some point in the fight, it becomes an issue of cardio or endurance or mental, I don't know. We get to later part of round two, round three, he's a guy who's already got low volume, and then he slows down. If he has the wrong moment of slowing down, he'll end up with Hernandez on his back choking him out. So he needs to be careful when his cardio Edmund needs to manage his gas tank. As for Hernandez, he is the rightful favorite, and he's the rightful favorite by this much because he is the better, well-rounded overall fighter. He's on a hot streak. He's got high-level wrestling, and jiu-jitsu is world-class. Hernandez fights at a very high pace, forces his opponents to work off their back foot, the opposite of Edmund. Edmund is not going to like the forward pressure, the pace, and at some point I believe Edmund gets exhausted by Anthony's just pace and pressure. Now, if Hernandez doesn't submit Edmund early on, and we end up with like a long striking battle, I still like Hernandez there. He has multiple paths to victory. 
Now, Hernandez is a big favorite here. It makes sense, but minus 290, still be careful, will be the, one of the most favorite parlay pieces of the entire card. Could Edmund win? Absolutely, he could win. But I think that Hernandez, the pace and pressure, the in-your-face, will wear down Edmund eventually find himself into a submission end of round one or into round two. One note, Hernandez tends to wear it on his face. Not that it's going to matter to score cards. I think this fight's going to be over at some point. But Edmund lands a few shots. Hernandez has a way of cutting quickly. He's a bleeder, just the way he is. Tends to sweat a lot. Looks kind of greasy when he's all done fighting. And nonetheless, um, he fights through that kind of situation. He fights through cuts, fights through facial damage. He likes the grease. He likes it ugly. And eventually will find himself into like a Darce choke or anaconda or something sexy. Maybe a Japanese necktie. Who knows? Something's going to be around the neck of some kind of Edmund. And I think Edmund will be tapping out within those first two rounds. The spots we like from a betting perspective are going to be the fight not going the distance at minus 200, under two and a half rounds at minus 160, and Hernandez by submission at plus 200. That's your breakdown, boys and girls. Again, we'd like Fluffy Hernandez by a round one, a round two submission. Let's move on to the main event. And here we are. We're at the main event. Strawweight battle, two females, Angela Hill versus Mackenzie Dern. 115 pounders before we get into the breakdown we'll tell you that we do like angela hill to win this fight by a very close decision most likely a split remember five rounds it seems as if over the course of five rounds we find ourselves with with more variance in the judges instead of more consistency which doesn't really make sense when you think about it it should be a larger sample size and more consistency but instead we get more variables and more different views and Judges sometimes, I don't know, they forget rounds, whatever. But over five rounds, I believe we get ourselves into uh, a split decision here. And I'll go with Angela Hill. Going over the details, these two fighters. Dern is 12-3 and three overall, 3-2 three in her last five fights. She's the favorite here, currently sitting around. Let me look it up for you guys. I didn't have it offhand. Minus 190 for Dern, plus 160 for Angela Hill. That's as of Tuesday evening, the uh, 16th of May. I'm sure there'll be some line movement. Not too much, but there will be some line movement. If you know anything about Angela Hill, she t frequently goes to split decisions or close decisions. As a matter of fact, her last nine fights all have gone to decision. And over the course of that time, 30% of the time, three of those nine fights, she went to a split. Okay. Hill's a balanced striker, good volume, landing 5.68 strikes per minute. This will be her 31st total mixed martial arts fight. A lot more experience, more than double the amount of fights as Mackenzie Dern. Now, Mackenzie Dern, not as many mixed martial arts fights, but she's obviously got a grappling background, no gi tournaments, gi tournaments, uh, all that kind of stuff. That doesn't really show in her topology, but she does have a, a good amount of combat sports experience, but not as much MMA experience as Angela Hill. The key to victory for Hill is pretty simple. Keep the fight upright. Stay off the ground. Dern is an absolute weapon on the ground, very good at jiu-jitsu, very good at submissions. And if you know Angela Hill, she has not a single submission on her resume. She's not known for that. She's more of a kickboxing, high-volume beach on the feet. It should be noted, though, both of these fighters fought a lot of the same opponents. They both fought Jan, Torres, Nunez, uh, Marcos, Yoder, uh, Cyphers, Hannah Cyphers, that is, with varying results. In some cases, they both beat that opponent. In some cases, they both lost. So uh, not much in math you can you know, uh, decipher from that. But again, a lot of similar opponents, which means their strength of schedule is more or less identical. As for Dern, comes to this fight off of, off of a loss. I'm sorry, she lost... Uh, two of her last three fights, kind of a rough stretch for her. Now, her most recent win was a split decision win over Tisha Torres. You can make the argument without that win, obviously. One more judge goes with Torres. She could be 0-3 in her last three fights. When you see that on her resume, you're like, wow, really? Because Mackenzie Dern a few fights ago was like, whatever, 9-1 and or whatever, looking on, on, on fire. 
things have slowed down and there's a bit of, there's a few chinks in the armor her submission skills amazing great but if you can force her to fight in the feet if you can you know penetrate her guard because she's not very good with her hands up uh, outstrike her you have a chance that's why i think hill has a chance here i mean she definitely has a chance hill's age yeah i know she's getting older but with Mackenzie Dern, this two of the last three fights hasn't looked great. And then obviously, of course, that split decision is just like, you know, it's up in the air. Dern's loss to Marina Rodriguez is also of particular interest to us. Now, go back and look at that fight. If you know Marina Rodriguez, she is a similar fighter to Angela Hill. She's a stand-up fighter, Muay Thai, kickboxing, striking. That's what Hill does. And of course, Mackenzie Dern fought her and she lost to her in part because of that. If Dern struggled with Marina, she's going to have her hands full with Angela Hill, who I think has even more volume. Well, no, Marina's got a lot of volume. I would just say I think Hill's the more accurate of the two and has fought a better strength of schedule than Marina. Hill is also much more formidable in terms of grappling than Marina. So if it were to hit the ground, I think Hill could defend herself a little bit, get it back to the feet. She's, she's quite athletic. Whereas Marina not very good with grappling and yet still marina was able to pluff the win there and beat dirt so just putting it out there this one could go either way i think it's going to be very close the over two and a halves fight going the distance hits the scorecards and at that point if it's a split like we're predicting a split it could go split towards mckenzie dirt right so excuse me the betting spots like the most of this fight are going to be the over two and a half rounds at minus 275 fight goes to two decision at minus 140 and hill by decision at plus 200 we might end up sprinkling both sides of the, of the of the splits, of course. Those split props are not available just yet. If you want our official bet sheet, please go ahead and subscribe to our newsletter. The link's down below. You get our full tip sheet with all our bets, our parlay bets, individual bets, uh, our prop bets. And in this case, we'll tell you now, though, we are going to be playing both sides of this split prop. Uh, just not sure what the prices are going to be and not sure we're going to lay on that just yet. But uh, that's your breakdown of the main event, guys. We're going to go with the, uh, the veteran here, Angela Hill. I think she edges out a victory, um, but I'm not going to be surprised if the victory, victory goes to Dern and she's on the right side of a decision or, in fact, she gets a submission. All these things are on the table. I think your best bets will be distant stuff, you know, over two and a half, fight getting into round number three, starting round four, stuff like that. Because I think over the course of the first few rounds, we should see enough from Hill defend herself, you know, stay at range. And then over the course of the last few rounds, who knows? Maybe fatigue sets in, someone makes a mistake, and we do see a finish. But give us Angela Hill by split decision. That's your breakdown. Let's move on. Okay, guys, we're just about done here. I'm going to give you a summary of our picks to win in the methods and also a few reminders before I let you go. Just hang in there a few more minutes. All right, this will be the Swift Picks portion of our video. We call it the Swift Picks. It'll be a separate segment you'll find on our YouTube video. The Swift Picks for UFC Vegas 73. We like Angela Hill in the main event by split decision. Co-main event, Anthony Hernandez by a submission round number two. Lupita Godinez with a close decision win over Emily Ducote. Andre Fialu, round one knockout. Diego Ferreira by decision. Yashlav Borshev, round one knockout. Carolina Kay, the Polish fighter, by decision. Gilbert Urbina by a round two submission. Lear Latifi by a close decision. We're going to go with Nick Fiore, round number two submission. Natalia Silva by a round two submission. And the first fight in the car, we're going to take Dembo Corimbo to win by round one submission. Those are your swift picks for UFC Vegas 73. Just some reminders for you guys. If you haven't looked at our newsletter already, check it out. There's a free version and a paid version. If you don't want to donate five bucks a month to our cause, we get it. Whether it's because you just don't like our stuff that much, you're not sure, or if you just can't afford it, that's okay too. There is a free version of our newsletter. So for example, for this full card here, there's what, how many, five, six fights in the main card, the rest of the, the prelim card. All the prelim card breakdowns, all those written breakdowns are available for free in our newsletter. That goes to everybody. 
Now for the main card breakdowns and for the full tip sheet, you do have to donate five bucks a month to our cause and be a subscriber to get access to that stuff. But try the free stuff out, see what it's like, see if you like our write-up, see if we're accurate. Uh, again, last few weeks have been kind of tough. We are on a three fight L streak and our tip sheets, we keep them updated. So once an event is over, if you're a subscriber, that's a paid subscriber per se, you can go in there and see the tip sheets. It's a running tally of how we're doing. So we track everything. We don't hide from our losses. Last few weeks have been a little bit tough for us, but we're gonna bounce back here. We're gonna have a good card. So yeah, first reminder is, please check out our newsletter. It's run through Substack. The link is down below. Second thing is our other shows. Where else can you find us? What else are we doing on Fridays? We have a show called MMA Happy Hour. That's with yours truly and Monique Yip, my famous, wonderful co-host. Her and I get together on Fridays, talk about the few cards coming up. This weekend would just be UFC Focus. We also open up a new bottle of wine each week. She's a bit of a wine connoisseur. Join us on Fridays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on this channel. That's live, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern time. And that show's called MMA Happy Hour. Every Sunday, midnight till about 1.30 a.m. This weekend, we went very long. We went midnight to 2.30 in the morning. That's midnight on Sunday night, which really is technically Monday morning, Eastern time for a show we call Midnight MMA with yours truly wrapping up the week that was with mixed martial arts, talking some top stories, a summary of how we did, revealing our bet tip sheet, how we did, so on and so forth. So that's enough, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this breakdown here for USC Vegas 73. If you haven't done so already and you're maybe just being a little shy, click the like button, hit the subscribe button. It's okay. We don't bite. We want you to come back. We want your viewership. We need your support. So please do us a favor. Like and subscribe. We hope to see you guys again soon. Good luck at UFC Vegas 73. And everybody love everybody. That's our mantra here, right? E-L-E. -E. Everybody love everybody. Deuces.